Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to be talking about microchip implants. Is it time to embrace this new technology? Then we're going to head to Camera Corner where Wendy will discuss the camera battery getting an upgrade that every manufacturer needs to adopt. So sit back, relax, and plug in because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, our resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been up to? I ordered a keyboard. I did order some hardware. Okay. I'm still waiting on the keyboard to arrive. It's been about four weeks now, and the supply chain issue thing that's been happening for the past year or so has never hit me really hard until now, and I can tell you, I don't like it. What keyboard did you order? I mean, I know, but the audience doesn't know that you've been waiting four weeks for. I ordered a System76 launch keyboard, and the keyboard looks interesting. I am very excited to play with the multi-layer system of being able to customize the keys to how I want them. That sounds fantastic, but... I also would like to not wait a month to get the keyboard. So, yeah, that. that's kind of an issue. Well, it's interesting. I did a video because I also ordered the launch keyboard from System76. So, I have a video on the DOS Geek YouTube channel out there. People can check out and get a review or first impressions of the keyboard. But something interesting happened after I did that video, and that is that the keyboard died all of a sudden. So this is a very pricey keyboard. For those who don't know, it's made in the US. There's a lot of cool things you can do with this keyboard and it is a really premium feeling keyboard. I understand the fact this happens from time to time, no matter who the manufacturer is. It could be BenQ, Dell, HP, doesn't matter. Sometimes you're gonna get that thing off the assembly line and it's just not gonna have the reliability something went wrong in the manufacturing process. And so unfortunately, when I got mine, the keyboard died. And that's not a problem in my book unless it happened again, or if there were many reports of having that issue. And honestly, after looking online, I don't see anybody else having the type of issue where the keyboard just suddenly dies. So I, I think it was more of a fluke. The issue I have is with System76 customer support, in which it's taken me over a week just to get an RMA number. So I'll be doing some follow-up videos to that. So those who watch the video and of course listen to here, just know that I have some concerns with the customer service part of this whole transaction. The fluke thing of having a, a product or a piece of hardware that just goes bad, that happens. But the way you handle it from a company standpoint is very important. So we'll be getting into that. And I'll be interested when you get your keyboard, what your experience is with it as well. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be uh, giving a video for that. And I have some plans to customize it by a lot because honestly, I'm not a big fan of how it looks by default. So I will be replacing some keys at some point. I, I have that expectation that will be happening. But I am looking forward to uh, playing with all, like the, having the software being able to be on my operating system of choice. And I have to worry about that, which is fantastic. And so I'm excited about that part. But also I am... I'm, I think that your point about how this could be something that just happens because of any kind of manufacturing, things can go wrong. 
I think that's a good perspective, but I do think that the customer service is something that needs to be optimized or optimal for such a experience and for them to take this long to give you an RMA number. That's kind of disappointing. Also, when I sent my email saying, hey, it's been three weeks, what can you can you give me like an estimate? And they it what their response was basically another week or two. And that's unfortunate. I mean, I understand that there's some kind of supply chain issue. The funny thing about it is that Ryan and I ordered, I'm pretty sure on the same day or like a day a different or something like that. Maybe the fact that mine's taking longer means it won't, you know, have the effect, the, the issue. That yeah, it'll have. have better quality control no. there. I mean, th- those things do happen, but you're right. When you're dealing with a premium priced product like this, you expect a completely different level of customer service. It's one of the reasons why so many people like Apple, because they are paying more money, but you also see the people raving about the incredible customer service where they'll go and bring something in that's even out of warranty, and they'll just give them a new piece of equipment as a replacement. Now, it doesn't happen all the time. Everything has failure points, right, where you get that one Apple employee that treats people bad, or you get that one situation where maybe System76 had this perfect storm, but... Now, if I call that a fluke too, then I've got two perfect storms happening from one company where it's a premium thing. So I'm just on the fence here. It's starting to look a little wonky with System76. So I'll be interested to hear in the community if you have dealt with System76 in the past customer service, if you've had any experiences, let us know. And maybe it all is just a double fluke. A double fluke can happen, I suppose. I know we've definitely had other listeners of the show who have bought things from them. So yeah, I would definitely be curious as to if they've had issues or whatnot. How did that customer service situation go? Did they have any other issues with their hardware? So Wendy, speaking of hardware, I know you've been digging into some fun things with hardware because you always got something. So what have you been up to? I really, really needed a new mouse. I've been using a Logitech G502 Hero for quite a while, and this seems like it's an incredibly popular mouse. And I know we've talked in the past about the issues that I've had with it, where it was just being glitchy, it was stuttering, I wasn't able to accurately highlight things that I needed to. I would start a larger section, it wouldn't highlight everything that I wanted to, jump around. It was just, like I said, being glitchy. It's kind of hard to explain, but I'd finally given up. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I can't use it anymore, especially when it comes to audio editing, photo editing. You're really needing this fine precision. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted a gaming mouse in the first place was because you can adjust that DPI. You can adjust the weight of the mouse and get that perfect mouse experience And I just wasn't having that with the G502 Hero anymore. I pulled one of our old Logitech mouses, the one that has the thumb, the ball mouse, where you control everything with your thumb. And after using a high DPI mouse on my two 32-inch monitors, I was like, no, this doesn't work either. I do not like this. And I went and picked myself up a Corsair M65WL, that's kind of a mouthful when it comes to the name of this mouse itself, but I have to say it is absolutely awesome. I love it so much. The weight, I once again added all the weights to it. I like a heavier mouse. I think the weight is comfortable. One of the reasons why I chose this mouse is is because it has the thumb rest. I was used to that on the G502. I loved that feature on the G502. So it was something that I was sticking with when I was changing up my mind. This one is wireless. 
And I didn't think that was going to be a big deal, but I'm absolutely loving the fact that I'm down one more wire on my desk. It can be plugged in three different ways. So you can use the cable to plug it in. So that way it's always on. It's always charging, which uh, I worry about the battery health of the mouse that way. You can also connect it with the dongle, which is how I have it connected right now, or you can connect it over Bluetooth. So when I was traveling to go see family here a few weeks ago, I connected it to my Surface Pro 6 over Bluetooth and still got the same great precision. Though I updated the software, the firmware on my Logitech G502s, because I have two of them. One is on the kitchen system. One my daughter is using now and they don't seem to be having an issue. So I'm kind of curious is after that firmware update, if that maybe had fixed it for my main desktop, but I'm also not giving up my new mouse. Nice. Well, see, I couldn't use a mouse like this because I'm left-handed and it has that thumb rest on the side that would make it awkward for me to use. But the mouse looks awesome for somebody who is right-handed and doesn't need, like I use the G903 because it's a straight mouse. It doesn't have any curvature. And you can move the buttons around on it, which is nice. So I can move those side buttons from the right side of the mouse to the left side or vice versa. But this has a lot of those same features that make the G903 really an excellent mouse, like the fact that you can change the weighting and things of it. So it looks like a really good experience that you're having with it, which is awesome that you found a mouse that costs, I don't know, a third of the price of the Logitech and has a lot of the same features in there. So that's a big advantage there as well. But us left-handed folk, we can't use a mouse like this. So I feel sad now because I can't get one. That does make it harder for all of the left-handed people out there. You are limited in the type of mice that you can pick up just so that they'd actually fit in that left-hand side. And I'm sorry that you can't use this mouse. Maybe you need to learn how to use a mouse right-handed. No, no, that is not the solution. You know that my teacher, when I was in kindergarten, tried to make me write with my right hand? You know, how rude. That would be miserable. That's discrimination against us Southpaws, you know? I didn't like it one bit. Do you get... Uh, left-handed scissors yes why are you why are you saying it okay, like was, in a joke i was just checking i was just i was it's not a joke <laughs> i was just curious because every time i talk to somebody left-handed they always mention the how scissors is super annoying yeah, scissors are annoying bowling balls are annoying like you don't realize the amount of issues you come across because a bowling ball they drill it in a certain way at an angle like those holes look like they're kind of straight down but they're kind of angled so they rip the skin off my thumb you know when i'm using my left oh, hand to gosh. roll them Oh, so wow. there's a lot of issues that us left-handed folk have to deal with. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, uh, I have a, ba- a mouse that's straight, like an ambidextrous mouse, and I use it for both left and right, uh, depending on the kind of workflow I need to do. Uh, but I actually am thinking about replacing this mouse with either a Logitech or something. Like you were talking about being able to replace the buttons from the left and the right side, having like a big set of, I don't know, six to nine buttons on the side of the mouse in comparison to the current layout where I have three buttons that are relatively easy to get to and then the other three are kind of awkward because I have to use my pinky or something. Like those are kind of not good in my opinion. Right. And I definitely want to look forward to getting a mouse that has all on one side in that kind of grid approach because that looks really awesome. And I love the fact when I used to have mice that were just basic, regular Dell mice or whatever that was just like the three buttons with the middle click and that's it. I didn't have any gaming mice or anything. And then now that I have used a gaming mouse, I will never not have one of these 
This is awesome exactly. to have extra buttons yeah, it on, is. My, on my mouse. Well, and I set the thumb button on mine, so it is control S. So when I'm doing audio editing work, that'll turn on and off the sync tracks for me. And so that's one less key combination I have to worry about when I need to move audio around just a little bit. That's a pretty cool little feature right there, turning on and off the sync mode with a button on the mouse. Michael, have you thought about that? You've got to move those around quite a bit. I basically avoid mus- messing with my mice uh, uh, buttons because lame. I use Wendy's my Wendy's so much cooler than you. Has all the- I have a keyboard <laughs> dedicated to macros and shortcuts. Yeah, it's okay, but it's so not as cool as a mouse button. Just saying. I agree. I agree. I want, I want to have both. I want to have both. I, I do heavily use the, the buttons that are next to the mouse, uh, normal buttons, which are I have its page up and page down, and I really quickly jump between tabs with that, and I love that part. Because for those who don't oh, know, know, if you're on a browser or a file manager or whatever, and you hold control, uh, page up and page down, this works with pretty much every application that has tabs. You can switch back between tabs in like a, not a chronological order, but just like the order of how they're laid out on the application. Hmm. And I do this all the time. Very nice. So Ryan, you sometimes do hardware. I know this is not your normal thing, but... Did you have a chance to do any hardware stuff this week? So I got to thinking about some of the hardware. I had a ton <laughs> of stuff to choose from, and I decided to... Oh, really? A ton? A ton. I have a lot of hardware that uh, comes through this house. I don't know why. I think it's those late night ordering <laughs> sessions that I do at times. But one of the things that I've really enjoyed technology-wise, and this really came about, of course, because of the pandemic and all of that stuff, was this product called Fight Camp. And Michael knows because he gets called every time I'm on the way to the gym that I go to the gym every single day, do workouts and things like that. But with my kids, I also like to get them into activities, make sure my daughter and son can protect themselves. And we've done the classes before where we've gone into a physical class and we're taught boxing or MMA stuff or different types of karate and things. It's very, very expensive and it's very hard with all the other activities and things that the kids are signed up for. To get them there. And a lot of times they're either geared towards kids or geared towards adults. If there's a mixture, it's not really well done type of thing. So with those classes that you go to in person. So in comes a product like Fight Camp. And what's neat about Fight Camp is you have professional trainers or fighters that can teach you boxing or kickboxing. They have a piece of equipment like the boxing gloves and the hand wraps and the bags and things. And then you take something like a Roku, a Google Home, whatever you're using for your streaming, and you take your phone and you download their Fight Camp app, and then you stream it to your TV and you can pick the classes that you want. So you can go to a beginner's course, an intermediate course, an expert course for fighting, boxing, kickboxing, those type of things. The technology side of it beside the app is that they have punch trackers that are built into this device as well. So in the gloves that you wrap, the hand wraps that you do before you put on your gloves, there's a little pocket for you to put these punch trackers in. And it, of course, counts the amount of punches that you're doing so that you can compete against other people as well who are taking some of the same classes that you're doing. And it's just been an absolute blast. Now, I didn't buy their Fight Camp bag and things. It gets pretty pricey out there. I just went and had a friend who works in the personal training realm and they were able to get me a really nice bag punching bag for me my kid and my my son and my daughter and we all basically will have a tv in the garage that we turn on and we run through some of the courses and it teaches you from beginner again to expert 
and all of these things and they have new classes and even live stuff that they do and things like that. And it's just a really fun way to work out. So if you've ever been intimidated by the idea of going to one of these karate gyms or MMA things or anything like that, or you just don't have the time, generally these courses are broken up into just 20 minute segments. And I'm telling you, somebody works out every day, 20 minutes of fight camp and I am out of breath and I'm hurting. Like it is, you'll throw six, 700 punches and they also have you doing things in between like plank punching or sit up punching and all this stuff to kind of get your body worked up for this stuff. And it's quite incredible. So I wanted to mention this because I think it's a really fun thing you can do with the family as well. And a lot of people who might be interested in learning how to fight and those type of things, uh, it's an option out there utilizing technology to be able to get the same style of classes and coursework that you'd get in person. This is really cool. When I, I've heard of these professional like trainers, you get a personal trainer from like an app or whatever. And that seems really cool. I never thought of having some kind of martial arts style in the same way. This sounds really cool, especially with for remote stuff where you don't have a lot of time to be able to go to a gym or if you don't have a local gym near you, that's very cool to be able to do it with this kind of app. Um, have, how long have you been using it? So I've been using this for about six months now and I, I absolutely love it. My kids love it too. They don't view it as like, they're not like, Oh gosh, dad, we have to go down there and do this. They, they, they asked me to do it. They encourage me to get in there. They love throwing punches. They love beating <laughs> awesome. up the bag. They love trying to punch hard enough to move the bag around to them. And so you can get their kit. It is quite expensive, but when you think about the cost, if you've ever priced going to a dojo or something like that, you'll realize how cheap this really is at the end of the day, because they can cost several hundred dollars a month going to one of those places in person, and then you don't have all the conveniences and things. You can get the $399 version, which comes with the punch trackers and things and one set of gloves and wraps, and of course the app. I think is around $30 a month or $40 a month, something along those lines. They have the kit that comes with the bags and everything else, but I also would recommend you go look online in your local area to see if people are selling punching bags and the equipment. There's nothing special about their punching bag. It's a nice punching bag, I've heard in the research, but there's nothing special about it. So you can just simply get a really nice standing bag, or if you want a hanging bag, you can get that for far cheaper than paying for theirs, which I think runs between thousand dollars with everything if you want their bag and stuff to twelve ninety nine. So it's just much cheaper to go get your own equipment and then just utilize those punch trackers, which I think add a cool dimension to the workout because you know how many punches you're throwing and the speed you're throwing and you're competing with other people who are also doing the same course. And it sounds like it's an awesome thing for you guys to get to do together, cheering each other on, comparing your numbers as you're improving. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and we take a picture of Michael's face and we put it on the punching bags and it's amazing. The kids just don't stop. So I know that this is not true, (laughs) but I do believe that you would consider doing it now that you've said it. Yeah, now that I've come up with the idea, I might just go do that. (laughs) And actually, there was a joke about, like when I went over to Ryan's house one time and his wife decided to print out the logo for Ryan, basically like the Das Geek logo, as if it is a representation of him. So I I took one of those and I kept it just for a joke in the future. So when I come back, I'm going to be bringing that with me so that I can have your kids punch you instead. You wouldn't dare, Michael. You wouldn't dare ruin that piece of art. (laughs) No way. I got two. Don't worry about it. All right, good. 
If you're a developer who needs to use the cloud to deploy your software but are having some problems, you can step into the octagon with your cloud computing issues and let DigitalOcean give it the old jab-jab left hook. Because this episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams get back to doing what matters most. Learning jujitsu, I mean, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. DigitalOcean also helps teams regardless of the size of your dojo. If you have a dojo of one person or a dojo of a thousand people, DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. And as a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the dealing community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome Doge, I mean cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. I love how you wrapped in the dojo into the ad read, Michael. That was genius, sir. Genius. Well done. <laughs> thank well you. Played. Thank you. Thank you. So I need everybody to hold their judgment on this next topic because I know most people are just going to freak out at this concept. But I want you to hear everything first and then make your decision, your judgment on this. Today, we're going to talk about implantable okay. tech. So this is tech Ew. that you can put inside of your body. Michael, you didn't ew, hold no, judgment. No, ew. What are you... Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. My bad. My bad. This is no longer a thing of fiction. Implantable tech is here. It's known by some as biohacking, and these biohacks chip implants can be used to store things like your emergency contacts, contactless payments, social media profiles, replace your house keys, your fobs for your car, and even e-tickets for events and public transportation. So the convenience of this is most people nowadays, you know, you want to grab your phone, you want to grab your wallet, things that you have to take your keys for your car. But some of those things could now just be implanted. You don't have to grab anything but maybe your phone with you because your key fob to be able to get into your house and those things can be done with this simple implant. You'll be able to get in your home, be able to start your car, all of that. Yeah. And at some point, we may have, you know how people do like the whole thumb and finger to the mouth, like pinky to the mouth, thumb to the ear. Then you can, you could actually have a phone embedded into your hand. Now, no, thank you. I don't really want this, but that, that could be a thing. You're in judging future, again, you know? Michael. You're judging again. I, my, okay. My bad. I apologize. Ew. Yuck. Okay. Continue. So additional use ideas besides maybe eventually having an implant that you could use as a phone, which probably will happen if it's not already in the works is GPS. You could have people talking about taking these and implanting them in their children to make sure you never lose track of your kids. This is a big concern with parents. <laughs> yeah, where you're worried, just like you, you put them in your pets, right? Because if your pet escapes or runs away, you've got these implantable devices in your animals and people are worried about someone snatching their kid or their kid getting lost. You could have a device that's inside of your kid to tell you where they're at. It's possible. Potential use case there. So there goes all of those horrible decisions that we get to make as teenagers that help build our character. That's true, because your parents, when you tell your parents, hey, I'm going over Michael's house, but you're really going over 
somebody else's house, then your parents are going to know because they're going to check the GPS and be like, you were lying. You weren't at Michael's house. So you won't be able to get away with stuff like that. They can already do that with the phones. That's true. Right. So they can already. So this is a little bit. Okay. I'm not. No judgment. Let's continue. You can turn a phone off. You can't turn off a piece of microchip that's in your hand, in your arm. Exactly. Challenge accepted. <laughs> or I could leave my phone at Michael's house and still go hang out with somebody I'm not supposed to. You know, you could do it. The kids are clever these oh, days, man. Yep. You got to think on their level. Michael, I guess, let me ask you right off the bat. You're, you're jokingly saying, ew, gross, yuck. What are your thoughts just hearing this initially? Now's your time to judge what do you think when you hear about this technology and its potential? Okay, so j- seriously, not joking. Ew, gross, yuck. <laughs> you don't see the convenience or capabilities that this tech could bring yet. I, I could see that there's some benefit to it. I, could, I understand that there could be some usage of these chips for, as you were talking about, being able to you know, use like key fobs and stuff like that, or maybe even do like contactless payments or... It's interesting, and I think that you know a business would make sense that they'd have like an like a way to get inside it. Like, let's say they have a a giant set of employees, and they could then have everyone who wanted to do this, I guess, be able to easily get into the building and do their work without having to carry uh, cards or whatever. But at the same time, ew, gross, yuck. So, Wendy, Michael thinks it's ew, gross, yuck. What are your thoughts initially on this tech? And we'll get into more details here in a moment. In some ways, I feel the same way as Michael, and it's more that privacy factor. I do like to give my children some privacy. I am still their parent, right? I want to know what they're doing and what's going on in that realm. But I think it's far too easy. We're already seeing this with devices that we pack in our pockets all the time and how some of that information is being taken and used in ways that I don't necessarily think is the right way of doing it or ways that I don't want my data being used with our current technology and having a device that is tracking my GPS feels like a problem. And I also worry when it comes to the contactless payments type of things, we have special wallets that we pack our cards in now that have chips and readers in them to help protect our accounts. What is that going to be like when you casually brush your hand over something at a store and there is a data reader there that is now stealing your payment information. There's just so many ways that I feel like it's only making it easier for hacking of our accounts, our personal information that it can come from. But at the same time, I already know of implantable tech that is super awesome. One lady that we visited with not too long ago, she's an ear doctor has an implantable device that she used to control her type 1 diabetes. And it is absolutely amazing. So I don't want to brush off all implantable technology like pacemakers. I think there's great places for it. I just don't know that I want it necessarily tracking or sharing my information with other people. It's interesting you have that experience because we're going to talk about some of the use cases that are outside of just maybe personal convenience and things. But there's a whole movement of people who really believe that computers are going to get to the point with AI and everything else that employees that are doing the work that we're doing today, computers are just going to be able to eventually do it better. 
And they believe that by adding in basically these components, these computers and things, and obviously this is a very early stage of an implantable tech that we're talking about in this case, but think about the future of what the implantable tech would be capable of, that this would allow humans to basically be able to keep up and still be employable because you would have these augments that are helping you be able to do things at computer-like speeds or be faster and better, not just for convenience like a lot of these chips we're talking about today are. But we'll get into some of the medical stuff in a moment. But despite whatever we may be thinking about it, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I'm with Michael, ew, gross, disgusting, or if I'm with Wendy, I'm kind of on the fence about it, it's gaining popularity. It's gaining influence. In fact, it's even making its way into the workplace already. There was a story I was reading where employers are already offering implantable tech and their employees are taking it. 50 of the 80 employees at Three Square Market, which is a company, agreed to be chipped on their own. They didn't have to be forced into it. The Voluntary Act allowed its workers to ditch their employee ID cards and no longer have to manually track or even use passwords. One of the most annoying things to deal with when you are working for a big corporation is you have these badges that allow you to get into the doors. And if you forget your badge, you can't get in. So then you have to go back to your car. Maybe you have to drive back a two hour commute back to your house to get another badge, or you have to get a guest badge process. This can be really annoying, but if you have this implanted in you, you're never leaving home without it. Additionally, for passwords, you're utilizing this for your passwords. So you don't have to memorize all your passwords and those things. So it just makes it very convenient, convenient enough that the majority of their employees decided to go ahead and get chipped. Now, typically this chip implant is placed between the thumb and your index finger. So that skin that you have there between your thumb and index finger is where these are placed. And they're about the size of a grain of rice, but they're getting much, some of them are bigger, some of them are, are small like grain of rice, but just depends on the type of implant you get. A lot of them do not require a battery or other power source. And these devices either use RFID or you may hear that they use NFC. So does that change your mind, Michael, hearing that so many people are volunteering to get these from an employee standpoint? Does it make it a little more interesting or no? It does It does make it more interesting. And it also makes me think about, like, is there a way to get it out for being able to replace it? Let's say, for example, if you leave that company, that chip would no longer be valuable. Or maybe it's like a universal chip that you could use it and like customize it and code it however you want to. That would be interesting. But I also have this one fear that maybe, what if the people who work there, what if they give each other a high five? Would there be data corruption? <laughs> so you do have a lot of control <laughs> within the apps to customize these chips. So if they leave, they can take these chips and through apps on their phone, basically reprogram them for other purposes that they want to use it with. So you can update these chips with different information or changes, okay, different employees cool. and those things. So... If you got one for and, and you loaded some information on it, you could always go in there and change that to something different later on. Okay, well that's that's better. I, I was kind of feeling weird weird about that in terms of like it's being from a company, but if you can modify it and update it and stuff like that, that does make sense that you could use it for a wide variety of things. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Although still you gross. Yeah. There you go. But before we go any further, let's talk about NFC and RFID real quick. So NFC or near field communication. This is what's used to transmit or receive data via radio waves. It's very different than Bluetooth, which we know everyone's familiar with in that it functions through electromagnetic induction. This means there could be a passive device such as a poster or sticker requiring no power source 
but you can have ones with power sources, of course, and it transmits data with an active device that contacts it. NFC is actually a subset or evolution or type of RFID that you'll hear about or radio frequency identification that has a shorter range but allows for peer-to-peer communication. So RFID lets you identify devices using radio waves and then get more sophisticated from there with different specifications, allowing for long range, short range, passive or active forms. And, you know, the RFID systems usually compromise things like tags and readers and antennas. We all interact with this stuff every day, whether we realize it or not. For RFID, typically you're going to see things like asset tracking. It'll be used for race timing, attendee tracking for events or even stores, knowing how many people coming in and out, inventory management, NFC, you typically see things for like what Michael was talking about, contactless payment, information or data sharing, in-store check-ins, et cetera. So NFC is typically considered a little more sophisticated of a variant of RFID there. Yeah, with the contactless payment, you have like credit cards now have the tap to pay thing and they're using NFC to do to accomplish that right. feature. And I use that all the time now because I prefer to not have to swipe it or really it's because you know when you have the chip you got to plug in the chip of the, for the card it is incredibly annoying when it, it goes through and it tells you to get to remove it it's always yes. this really loud awful or you sound. removed it too soon I, or you you know whatever you left it in too yeah, long exactly. there's all these little things yeah yeah exactly and if you don't leave it in long enough it'll complain to you with another uh, annoying sound so it's kind of funny when sometimes I go to a store and I do the chip thing and then the sound isn't horrible. It makes you actually have to comment on it being, oh, oh wow, it's not a horrible sound. Thank you. But not having to worry about that because you just do the tap to pay and that's really nice. I've actually been using NFC for a long time, not even just this part, but also I've been using it for a wide variety of automation stuff. Now, I don't do like a lot of home automation, uh, but I do have some automation stuff that I set up with my phone. Long time ago, the big Android automation application was Tasker. I don't know if it still is because I use a lot of different other things to accomplish what I want. But NFC was something that you could use for a thousand different things. Yeah. So, for example... I have these uh, NFC stickers that are, you know, they just put them wherever you want and you can do all sorts of stuff. So you could have a NFC sticker uh, uh, right next to your front door. And when you walk in, just put your phone onto it and then it will turn on your lights and stuff like that. Just really cool approach to it, right? I also do it where I have an, uh, an NFC across my room when, you know, when I get up. So my alarm will, will activate and it won't turn off until I get out of bed and make sure that it scans the code. Because if, if, if I don't, it'll just constantly you know, try to remind me, you know, get up, get up. And the act of getting up out of bed to, do, to go turn it off does help me wake up. So to me, that has been one of my favorite uses of NFC because it guarantees that I will actually do the thing that I was wanting to do, which is wake up and get now up. Now think about that for a moment. How cool is it that you've utilized NFC in such a way? But imagine not having to utilize your phone or find your phone or make sure your phone is powered on. What if there's a power outage and your phone doesn't charge or you didn't plug it in right or it fell out of the outlet? If you had this implantable tech and you programmed all of that same stuff into a little chip, you don't have to worry about that. You could go by and swipe those same pads, get your lights turned on, your alarm turned off, all of those things, right without having to worry about your phone being on you. I mean, the possibilities are there for sure. And I do think it'd be really cool to be able to just swipe your hand across something and then boom, something activates. It'd be like sci-fi movie stuff, super futuristic approach where you just kind of, instead of 
it's flipping a switch. Ugh, that's so ancient technology. Yeah. yeah, you could just rub your hand or just not even touch it, just wipe your hand across it, like just like the, the NFC style, and then all of a sudden, things start activating. That'd be really cool. That would feel like you're a wizard activating all these things. But again, you gross yuck. I also don't want to be a downer. And I complain about new cars all of the time. And one of my biggest complaints about new cars is they've got all kinds of computer boards and chips in them. So that makes them proprietary technology, which you have to go to a specific dealer in order to get them worked on, or they have to have the right computer in order to read what's wrong with it. And then in the case of certain vehicles, once they're so old, that board is no longer made anymore. We have a vehicle that currently has that issue. It's got a bad board in it. They don't make them anymore. So the only way that you can find them are boards off old vehicles anyway. And I worry about what that's going to look like when it comes to the house. I don't want a newer vehicle because I don't want to deal with that kind of thing with vehicles that have more technology built into them. Not that the technology isn't so cool with what it can do. It's the long-term maintenance of that and the long-term cost of keeping that up or not being able to find parts. If you have a house that's full of all this kind of technology, when something goes wrong, when your heater goes down, is that going to take out your water and everything else with it because it's all connected on the same board? What is that going to mean when for some reason there's a glitch in the system, there's a bug and you go to swipe it and the alarm doesn't go off and you're stuck for two days with your alarm constantly going yeah. on? So there always has to be kind of a manual override or intervention and the interconnectivity, definitely right. true that there can be issues with that as well. On the flip side, it's very convenient, but there are also issues that can come along with it. Or you get a chip, for instance, that gets outdated very quickly. We know technology changes so fast and so quickly. Are you going to constantly be having surgery to get one out and put back in? Not that it requires really surgery to put them in. You can actually do it yourself, which we'll talk about here in a moment, but most of these are actually NFC based. And this works like microchips, the same microchips that people put in their pets that we mentioned earlier. So if you find a pet that's been microchipped, most of the devices they're implanting in the dogs, they have to be physically found first, and then they take a scanner and scan it. And then they get information about the owner's data. So these chips kind of work similar to that. There are of course, GPS versions as well, but for the most part, these are ones that require manual scanning. So you're talking about the GPS thing that you could have embedded like the dog stuff. And I thought, well, one, what about just giving a kid like a necklace that had a GPS on it? That's an option. Or maybe there's like a temporary way of doing an implant. Like I saw this TV show and they made a couple jokes about, you know, this one person is not involved in what they're doing, but they, they don't believe that that person's not involved. So they make them swallow a GPS chip, like a GPS, like one of these like grain things. <laughs> and then... They make a joke about it, and then after they, they start talking about it, every single person had that person swallow a GPS thing, so they had like six <laughs> or seven in them. And I thought, maybe that's a way, because if that's po actually possible, which I have no idea, if that's possible, you could maybe have like a two-week period or a few days. I don't know how No, you just put a strainer in the toilet, and you just get it out and re-swallow it every time. <laughs> this is brilliant, Michael. I don't know why nobody thought of this. <laughs> This is a hard no. That's not going to happen. Negative. Uh -uh. Maybe not the. Re maybe no. not recycle the chip, but just <laughs> maybe buy a batch of them or something. The e-waste potential there, Michael. I just I don't know. I don't like your That's idea. Not and then rubbing your stomach up against the NFC readers and stuff to get it to scan. I just I'm not feeling <laughs> this. You know, I'm not. 
okay, might be fair, a little socially awkward. Yeah, just a tad. Like, hey, can we exchange information? <laughs> Get really close to my belly, you know? I don't know. Or be like the Pillsbury Doughboy where they just like push your push your stomach and a ringtone happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are several sites I found selling implantables, not the kind Michael's talking about that you would swallow. That's his million dollar idea. These are the ones that you would stick between <laughs> your thumb and your index finger. And you can take them to your local body modification store to get this procedure done, or you can do it yourself. Having watched the procedure... I'm going to tell you, this needle is very scary. It is not like a typical needle. It is hollow. It looks thick. And you're shoving it between that skin of your index finger and your thumb, which if you pinch, doesn't really have a lot of feeling. So people don't seem to flinch or be really bothered by extreme pain or anything. There's barely any pain at all. It's almost like people treat it like getting maybe a shot, a vitamin booster in your arm or something like that. They just don't seem to feel a lot of pain with it because I don't think there's a lot of nerve endings there, which is probably why it's a popular place to get it. But I can tell you just looking at the needle makes me cringe. Like, oh, I would not yeah. want to do that. It, it looks more invasive than it probably is, but it's, that's the big fear factor, I think, for most people. It looks like a really big needle for sure. So Ryan said, we're going to be talking about this. And he's like, hey, you should watch some videos on this. And I said, that's a great... No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, so... I did look at the needle and how big it was, and I they were about to do the, the process. I'm like, no, I'm done. I ain't watching this. <laughs> but it also is something like I had a shot recently. I went to the doctor and got a, like a tetanus shot, and that the massive amount of needle I would possibly ever take, the little little itty bitty thing, and then looking at comparison between that and this, uh, no, no, I'll pass. Yeah. Well, Wendy, you have some body modifications through piercings in your ear. And these are modifications. They're putting holes in a part of your body and shoving a piece of metal in it, maybe with a pretty piece of jewelry at the end. But it's very kind of similar concept, except it doesn't have the cool NFC usage and stuff. Does this freak you out with the needle potential here? I definitely don't have problems with needles. And I was trying to see what gauge that needle was, how big it is. And I really can't find any information on that. I'm sure it's somewhere out there. And I do. I have lots and lots of ear piercings. My left ear has 10 all by itself. My little lonely right ear needs more. I'll eventually get to that. I'm not done. So needles aren't an issue. I already go to a body mod professional and say, these are some different things that I want done. And I almost think that this would heal in some ways faster. So I do have concerns on where it goes for the body mod aspect. Yeah, it's going to be completely and totally enclosed, so your body can heal around it. One of the downsides is you use your hands all the time. I mean, it's incredible how much use you have with them on day-to-day -day aspects of that. And it being inside your hand right there, I think you've got some potential for infection or some soreness to kind of linger just because you keep irritating where that item is inside your hand. Though, like you said, there's not as many nerve endings right there. It's fairly thicker. Shouldn't be too big of a deal. But I th think you would have some lingering soreness just because the fact that you want your other piercings, your ear piercings, you're supposed to leave them alone. You're not supposed to touch them other than cleaning them twice a day, morning and night. Otherwise, not moving them helps your body heal because you have that tunnel of skin that'll form around it over time. And you don't want to disturb that very, very 
delicate tissue, whereas in your hand, you can't help but move it as you use it every day. So I'm kind of curious from people that have had it done, what is that healing process like? How long does it take to not hurt anymore? Apparently it doesn't hurt much at all, even after the recovery period. So, and a lot of the videos I was watching of people who volunteered to get this done were freaked out by the needle, but were just surprised again that there was no pain and the healing process was a few days because it doesn't do a lot of damage be where it's going specifically. It's in a, a higher layer of your skin. So it's not like it's going into the muscle area or anything like that. So it's just kind of hanging out in that flap of skin. It's not very invasive from that standpoint and the healing's very quick. And I believe somebody specifically asked a very similar question to yours. What about infections and those type of things? And the person again, who was kind of promoting this idea was saying they'd never heard of a case in which that had taken place outside of, of course, people doing things themselves and doing it wrong where they go too deep or go in the wrong right. spot and things like that. But if you're getting it done by a professional body mod uh, person where they're doing the right procedures, which requires them to take a light in some cases and shine it through your hand to make sure they're going to not going to hit any nerves or there's no nerves crossing in the area and actually marking where exactly the implant's going to stay and go. And there's a lot, there's a big process to make sure it's done right. Just like when you're doing any type of body modification. So if you're wanting to do this by the device and go have a body mod professional do that, you definitely want to be asking around, hey, do you have experience in this? Have you taken right. classes in this? And most of the people who have had training are more than willing to be like, yeah, absolutely. This is where I got this done. This is who I was under in taking some specific training. So they're... Very, very open when you find a good one. And I would do the same thing with this. Absolutely. Make sure you found somebody who's had training and placement. Somebody reputable. It's supposed to go. Yeah. And if you go to things right. like DEF CON and stuff, apparently they set up tables where they have a professional person who does hundreds of these there who will do them. Uh, you buy the chip and they'll do the implant placement for free and things. So there's a bunch of different ways you can get this type of tech. And by the way, anybody listening has this type of tech. I'd love to know your opinion on all of this stuff. There, I don't personally know anybody that has it, but if you want to order them, dangerousthings.com is a very popular place to get these microchips. <laughs> and I think it's appropriately named. Michael, you laugh, but I like that they put it right in the name that, hey, you're messing with something dangerous here. It's new. It's cutting edge. Right, fair you enough. know, let's call it dangerousthings.com. Uh, yeah. I respect the, like, just going out on the limb and saying, hey, dangerousthings.com, but sure, why yeah. not? <laughs> and then you've got chip-implants.com uh, as well that sells some of these. But Dangerous Things seems to be the one I, I see coming up the most from people talking about the different chips and devices that they have. If we take a deeper look at like the X4 that's there, one of the versions of this, it's encapsulated in a biocompatible glass capsule. And these are very difficult, impossible to shatter. They've never heard of a case where they've ever shattered. They can take extreme abuse. If you think about it, again, a little thing the size of a grain of rice that's very compact and thick, special uh, biocompatible glass that they're using here. So there, there's no stories of it ever shattering from people following or anything else with this. Uh, cryptographic methods that they use, so there is some protection in the data and things, is 2KT DES, 3KT DES, and AES-128 to encrypt this data that you have on this chip. It can accommodate up to 28 different applications and 32 files per application in its file system on this little chip that you implant. It has memory up to 8 kilobytes. Kilobytes. 
and it is both Android and iOS compatible with the software. These sites often compare this whole procedure to being no different than carrying your phone around. People talk about the privacy aspect, which like Wendy was the first thing that came to my mind. And anytime someone was like, I don't know how I feel about having a tracker on me at all times. People were like, you have one, it's called your phone and it's on you at all times. And then people were like, well, I don't know about having NFC on me at all times. And they're like, you have one, it's called your phone. It's in your pocket at all times. So a lot of them were basically saying, you're just getting this convenience of the same thing you're carrying around anyways, that's implanted into your skin. But maybe you're one of those people that's still rolling their eyes at this idea going, ew, gross, disgusting, like Michael and implantable tech. But Wendy was onto something earlier that this implantable tech also saves lives. Implantable pacemakers, defibrillators, contain multiple sensors, allow for continuous monitoring of patients' heart health 24 hours a day. They're designs that work for people with disabilities who can use the chips to automatically open doors, for example. So those are some use cases. They're outside of just simple convenience. The FDA has also approved a fully implantable glucose sensor and compatible mobile app for adults with diabetes, which I think was what Wendy was talking about. So if we accept this for medical purposes or with individuals with disabilities, I could see huge advantages of why not use it for non-medical use? I'm not opposed. I just want to know that my data is secure. Yeah. And how do I, I don't trust many of the companies right now that I feel would be managing that data. I'm not opposed either. I, I think that there is, like Wendy was talking about how she does have body modifications with piercings and stuff like that. And I have no piercings or tattoos because my body is my temple. So, oh, come is, on. Uh, what about, ta what about <laughs> tattoos? Mine too, and I decorate it, yeah. right? Like I, I decorate, decorate my, my temple. temple, exactly. Uh, <laughs> tattoos, I don't have any tattoos You're either. so weak. I have no problem with people getting tattoos, but I'm not going to be doing that. Weak. And uh, they, they're, they're, no, the reason is because my body is a temple. <laughs> it's, it's too now, perfect that just to tattoo up, huh? Exactly. You don't want to mess with perfection, I got you. of course. Exactly. Makes sense. <laughs> also I, I'm, I don't I don't want needles but the temple thing more importantly however I do have one thing about the medical purposes uh, a friend of mine has a cochlear implant for hearing hearing loss mm -hmm. and I think that that is fantastic that that exists because it makes it possible for them to hear without it completely diagnosed as deaf and with it they actually can hear things which is amazing yeah, technology that that's even amazing. possible yep Yes. So in those cases, I think the implantable tech is amazing. And in regards to this, you know, the wizarding world that we were talking about of being able to activate things with just wiping your hand across, that's cool. But uh, still, uh, no, thank you. I will pass. Body temple and things. There's an interesting pull for me with this technology because at first I was very much with Michael. I was like, ew, gross. Even though I have tattoos, I've had piercings and things, I just felt like this was gross and I don't want to stick a needle, hollow needle in my skin. And the amount that you get from the amount of convenience that you would get from this device currently to me is too limited for me to want to explore. Now, if you have a setup, honestly, like you have, Michael, where you've got all these NFC sensors already and things, I could see it being more useful. I think it would be neat. I think it would be something that would be a great conversation starter. I think you'd probably have a lot of conversations at convenience stores when they're like, Oh, just, you know, wave your card in front of the reader and you wave your hand there and it accepts the payment. I think there's some cool things there, but it's just not enough convenience to be worth shoving a needle in my skin or having a device in there yet for me. However, when I think about the medical purposes, 
you were talking about the cochlear implant here as an example, and you think about the way of being able to augment our current abilities to be even greater, things like contacts that allow us to see further away, taking some of the technology that we've learned from some of the medical devices like the cochlear implant and improving our hearing for jobs where that's imperative that you be able to understand your surrounding and everything around you, maybe even a military application and those things. When we start taking some of the capabilities from the medical disability side and you start putting in those, can we augment to make ourselves even better, have better vision, better hearing, maybe more strength, those type of things, then it starts to become even more interesting for me as a potential. But there's always the hacking that comes into play. There is nothing out there that is hack-proof. There's no such thing. Neither is your phone, your smartwatch, or tablets, but they're not inside your body. And everybody here was talking about privacy and tracking abuse and things like that. And I think those are very real issues. In fact, I was looking at one site that was selling some of this stuff and they have an iCopy XS, which lets you clone RFID devices. And then there are devices that they were talking about on, on DEF CON and things where they're able to basically take NFC information from certain devices and clone it and things in it is a backpack that you just walk near enough to people to get that information. Now that can happen today with your wallet and other things. But the fact is having that implant at your hand when you're walking with your hand by your side and someone just walks by you with the backpack and is picking up information, maybe the signal isn't that far yet, but as this technology improves and has more use cases and things, I, I just don't know. That's the big fear or any body modification that I was even talking about futuristically. I think the fear continues to be what if it's hacked? Because no matter what encryption you're using, no matter how strong the encryption you're using is, everything can be broken. Everything has the potential to be compromised. If nothing else, I think that's one of the things that Bo Weaver, who has been on the Destination Linux show, has emphasized time and time again, nothing is perfect and people themselves can be the cause for the hack. So not being careful with what you're doing or where you're putting certain things can lead to that greater chances of things getting hacked. And on your body, you've got it with you all the time. And I can see it being so easy to just grab a scan off somebody in a nonchalant style of way. Yeah. And then if, of course, you start improving the tech and making it more sophisticated and has power sources and things like that, you've got other potential things where it could be end up overheating or being hacked and heated into your body and causing all kinds of different issues. So there's so many problems that can come up with something like this. I think it's interesting. I'm not ready to take the plunge yet, although after learning more about it, specifically the medical uses and things, I was a little more interested, but I still wouldn't take that plunge. And so everybody knows we're not advocating for this tech in one way or the other. We're just letting you know it's here. And a 2021 survey more than 4,000 people across the UK and European Union found that 51% would consider getting implantable tech, which means it's not as frowned upon as you might think. The devices used to treat illness or help with medical conditions seem like an amazing use of this, like we talked about. And if you think about it, piercings and tattoos were once considered fringe, disgusting, taboo, and they were just for you know people of a certain caliber would get those type of things. But now today... The same stuff, piercings and tattoos, is everywhere. You have moms getting it, dads getting it, kids getting it. Everybody has this stuff, and it's not fringe or taboo or frowned upon like it once was. So maybe we're just those same people that were frowning upon it and going, ew, gross, disgusting, 
the same type of people that were doing that back in the day with tattoos and piercings. And when our kids grow up, it'll be normal to go down to your body modification shop and just get some implantable tech. That makes sense. That could be an issue. I'm thinking about like things that could be problematic for this. You know, like I was talking about the high five, maybe there's data corruption. What about when you shake someone's hand and they have that little joke thing that gives you a shock of the little buzzer? Would that create some kind of corruption in the data? <laughs> I don't think those I'm buzzers are powerful enough. I mean, if you're shocking somebody, it's not like the comic book Joker, you know, where he's got one that fries you into a skeleton. Like, they're just a little buzz. I don't think that's going to have any impact, Michael. Well, I'm just saying, I think, think the about the possibilities. the other thing we've learned here is Michael has a very, very large imagination. He sure does. <laughs> we don't have to worry about this tech, and that is Bitwarden, which helps keep our passwords secure. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. That is what they do. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. But if you're like me, you're going to want that premium account that starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage, and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash to get started for free. Though if you're like me, you're going to show your appreciation for this awesome, open source software and get that premium edition that starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us about this camera battery that every manufacturer should be doing. When I saw this, I got so incredibly excited and it's by a company called Nightcore, at least that's how I'm assuming it's pronounced. They aren't an official camera maker. So this is a third party battery. The one in particular that we're talking about is made for a Sony FPZ100. But I'm hoping this technology goes wide for all camera batteries, even the original manufacturers. The OEM battery should come with this. And that is a USB-C port on the battery for charging. One of the worst things with the modern cameras that we have now is you have to pack around these great big batteries. If you're doing something like a wedding shoot, if you're out doing anything where you're taking pictures all day, vacation, whatnot, making sure that you have not only enough space to hold all those pictures, but enough battery to actually take them is a big deal. So a lot of people will have multiple batteries. Then on the downside of that, you have to have this specific charger that's for the specific state battery that goes to this specific camera, and it can be a real big pain. I know in the past, I have lost the charger for my camera battery, have no idea where it went. I think it probably fell out of my camera bag somewhere, but then I had no way to charge my camera battery yeah. and had to order another one, wait for it to show up before I could use my camera again. This solves all those problems. I've been there. In fact, I was there this weekend. I was flying my DJI drone and I was doing it to capture the Easter hunt, egg hunt that my kids were doing. 
and I hadn't used the drone in so long and all the batteries were dead because it requires a special battery unit that has a special connection that I didn't have plugged in because I don't use the drone all the time. So I don't just keep it randomly plugged into walls and things and charging endlessly. So I had to take that out. I had to wait a few hours for the batteries to charge up and then I could take them out. And then I realized that the one battery that I had purchased was like a third party battery, had a different charging method than the charger that came with the drone. So I couldn't charge that extra battery that I had. I had to get a different charger that I had to order for that spare battery. So it's just kind of a ridiculous concept and everyone comes up with their own design. Like the, the design used to charge the drone batteries is completely different than any other battery charging plug-in design I've seen out there. So they all come up with their own version of it requiring special cables and everything else. I love this idea. I love that we standardize USB-C, first of all, for computers and every device. I get mad if a device doesn't oh, yeah. have USB-C at this point. And I think it's even a better idea to have this in batteries as well so that you're not having to buy all of these and all the e-waste too that goes along with it, different types of connectors and chargers and losing them. Everybody now should have a USB-C cable hanging around and you could just plug in your battery and charge it. It's brilliant. Why hasn't this been done before? This is not as good as Michael's idea of just having to swallow your implantable device, but it's close. It's really close. <laughs> it's really close. USB-C all the things is what I say. I think there's so many great benefits to using that, and especially in this, the battery thing, it's just so great to be able to do it because I have a dummy battery thing, which is basically you just plug in something that looks like a battery to the camera, but it's really a power cable to plug into an outlet and stuff. So I use that all the time, but occasionally I need to take my camera off of my mount and I need to put it on a tripod or whatever, so I do need a battery then, and I just have to hope that the battery is still charged enough to be able to turn the camera on so I can charge it. And not having to worry about that, just plug it into a USB port for you know, a USB charger that I have plenty of thanks to my phone and other devices. This sounds awesome and I hope all of the manufacturers do this because it makes sense to do it in now and it's kind of surprising that it just now started happening. Exactly. Imagine going on vacation and you don't have to worry about pulling that specialty charger out of your camera bag. You can take your phone off the charger or have a second USB cable. We've got USB-C cables all over the place. I usually have one at my desk. We have one plugged in over by the bed. There's usually one over in the kitchen. Pick one, take a couple with you, and no matter what device you're using or need charged, you have this universal charging station that everything can go on. You're good to go that night, and the next day you're off taking more pictures of your family or the places you're off seeing. Absolutely fantastic. Congratulations to Nightcore for doing something that seems so obvious. Yep. And I hope they make more <laughs> batteries to support more cameras that have this technology on it as well. In addition, they actually have a button on this Nightcore battery. It looks like that you push and it tells you what the charge is on the battery as well. This is just a really cool oh, wow. battery all the way around. Like this is how batteries packs should be done for everything, not just cameras, drones, all of that stuff. This is brilliant. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it. Our 59th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the amazing content on the Destination Linux Network. Head 
to destinationlinux.network to check out all the amazing podcasts. Also, YouTube partners. If you're one of those people you want to watch video, it's on YouTube as well. We've got tons of YouTube content out there. Michael creates YouTube content. GameSphere's out there. My content's out there. Even the podcasts themselves are out there. So you can listen to the audio versions on YouTube if you want. Make sure to subscribe, hit the thumbs up, leave ratings for this podcast in your favorite podcasting app. There's so much there on our network to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time for another ooh, gross, yuck episode of Hardware Addicts. No, wait, that's not right. Let me try that again. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Hardware Addicts to implant hardware awesomeness into your mind temple. I like it. That one I like. The ew gross. I mean, this is the only time we've ever covered ew gross stuff, I feel like. So I like the implanting yeah, tech probably, into your temple. They probably shouldn't expect we've that. We've covered ew gross, yeah. but it's usually on the lines of can I fix my tech or not? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> ew gross when they release technology that you can't repair yourself or upgrade yourself. That's ew gross for sure. Oh, that's true. So uh, in some ways, it is accurate to sometimes. Yeah, so I guess we do cover ew gross stuff. Yeah, we'll go with, we'll say both of those. Both of those are, app- are applicable now. So. Thanks for listening, everyone.